Come on, you can't get rid of the Raisin Toast. Welcome to Founders Voyage. We are fortunate to have a woman of many abilities speaking with us today. Her virtual CTO startup, Start With Tinny, takes non-technical founders from floundering to flourishing, helping them navigate the technological landscape of today. Both her PhD and her commercial work allowed her to develop formidable technical skills, especially in engineering systems targeted at data-intensive industries. She is the CEO of her own ventures like Abide Space, an early stage startup focused on enabling intergenerational cooperation through co-living. We are honored to have Sharmin Chowhury talking to us today. Tinny's gonna kick off our talk today with a little bit of a presentation about her journey, and then we'll open it up to questions and discussion. So we're truly honored to have you as our featured speaker today, Tinny. Thanks so much for being willing to share your journey with all of us and feel free to take it away whenever you're ready. My background is in research. So I have a PhD in computer science research. I've uh, pretty much worked in research since graduating under uh, undergrad. I uh, My first job was with a research center where I worked in um, data preservation, specifically as applied to complex objects, art objects. And after that, I went into commercial development and I worked with um, uh, a company that's now been bought out and absorbed, and, uh, but at the time was one of the leading software houses here in uh, Brisbane. And their, you know, their flagship product was all about, uh, you know, being an intensive data management system. And um, I worked with uh, initially in their info, in their sort of research infrastructure group, and then uh, I moved on to their uh, customization group for Energix, which is like a big utilities company here. Um, and then I left that to start do my PhD. Uh, which was in information retrieval, um, specifically applied to the motion picture industry because I actually did my PhD. Uh, my PhD was funded, I should say, from the from um, a, a creative industries uh, research center, and um, and yeah, so my work was all about how to make um, you know the film industry a little bit more efficient. Uh, and also how to repackage some of their data so that they could get extra uh, revenue and stuff like that. And then I finished my PhD and went to the UK to do my postdoc, uh, which was in visual analytics. And that was um, uh, a research funded by the, um, oh, I can't remember the acronym, acronym now, but, but, but basically the engineering and science um, funding, the main engineering and science funding body of the UK and the Ministry of Defence. And um, yeah, and after I finished my postdoc, I came back to Australia. And um, yeah, and, I, and then I was like, okay, I did, I applied for a, a bunch of other postdocs, but, um, and also, um, but I just, my heart just wasn't in what I was 
trying to do. So I was trying to do a little bit of research, but then thinking, oh, maybe I should go back to uh, commercial development. And I was just kind of all over the place. So that that's when somebody suggested, a friend of mine suggested, um, look, your research has always been in sort of that border between uh, commercialization because it's always been applied research. So why don't you just go into commercialization, you know, go into startups and stuff like that. So I started, I said, okay, fine. But then there was a lot of things I didn't know about business. So I um, developed some uh, silly apps on um, just, uh, you know, just as a more as a engineering exercise more than anything else. And then I sort of started using those apps to just explore things I didn't know, like marketing, um, you know, um, and um, um, just commercialization, monetization, and just stuff like that. And that's got got me into the startup community here um, and just the business community in general. And I quickly found out that there was like a skill, my skill set was needed in the community in a very different way than I, I, I thought, because um, I don't know the situation in uh, your local towns, but in this, in Brisbane or in Australia in general, there are a lot of founders and developers, uh, sorry, uh, not founders and developers, but founders, non-technical founders who have great ideas that are, that are born out of what they witnessed in their professions, in their working lives, and they have thought of solutions to their problems, but their solutions have a tech component, but they're not developers. So they can be marketing, they can be sales, they can be, um, they're domain experts, but they are not tech experts. Um, and, and it usually comes, and so, what ends up happening is that sometimes uh, if they have a little bit of capital behind them, they can try and get go out there and get a dev team. Uh, but then it can be a bit hard communicating. And they then even if you get this platform developed externally, there are a lot of, um, I'm sure most people know um, as startup founders that there are steps from code to marketing that that you need to do and that's not necessarily always obvious to non-tech people and um and yeah so so the, so you end up with this quagmire where and, a, and a, in a bit of a communication issue where where everybody sort of loses like the developer gets frustrated because they think that they're doing the right thing they produce a system and then uh, often what the founders have is that they often have a white elephant, um, you know, something they've spent a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of money uh, developing. And then they're like, well, okay, but what do I do with this now? Uh, and on the other side, you can have people with great ideas um, who just, who, honestly genuinely believe that they can get it developed with beer and pizza you know and it's like but no that's not going to happen this is a 500 hour project uh you may find a student who's willing to put that in as a as a sort of an exercise but 
um, or maybe, uh, uh, but in that case, you have to um, accept that they're doing you a favor and this has this will be on their timeline. So it'll be like a year, two years, however long, and it will be a code from a learner. So what are you going to do into uh, while the student learns how to do this? And, um, and, and, and that's assuming uh, you can find you know the student and some and you can like uh i am uh, affiliated with uh queensland university of technology uh which is um the university i got my phd from and they have a project called the capstone project and they do uh, uh assign you um uh up to four people four students uh, it students as a internship team and um but Okay, you now have a team, but you're still a non-tech developer trying to communicate with students who are learning. Um, you know, there's. I'm sure I don't have to tell you, but there's a lot of communication issues there, and also uh, so that um, yeah, and so 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 I ended up sort of developing a service, um, so a consultancy that I call Start with. Uh, Tinny, and that's and the entire purpose of that is that um, I become the conduit uh, between non-tech founders and um, tech people, um, and sometimes I help them find a cost-effective uh, development teams, uh, you know, by assembling a team of freelancers and things like that. Sometimes I do uh, help them supervise the. Um, the previously mentioned student internship team so that both the students learn something uh, while working for the startup and the startup actually gets something that is usable and uh, but you know the market and the marketing and the business and the sales side is on the startup um, and uh, yes and um, other times it's it's just to make sure that that your tech dollars are being spent uh, wisely and not, um, you know, not going to waste. And all of this, uh, I must say, is at at the end of the day in service of uh, my own ideas and my own startup. So um, uh, I am uh, the co-founder of a startup called Abide. It is in a pause, which is beginning to look a little bit like permanent, but um, just because my co-founder, um, he he had some, uh, you know, just his life got in the way, and um, so he sort of put it on pause. Um, and uh, unfortunately, with COVID and everything, he hasn't been able to emerge out of that pause um, fast enough. But we are still, but the idea is solid. Um, or rather, I should say, the problem we were looking to solve is still a problem. And so I am uh, hopeful that um, eventually it will uh, become unpaused. And if it, if not that startup, um, you know, there are plenty of problems to solve and plenty of other things to do. And so at the end of the day, what I'm actually trying to um, achieve by the by um, doing running start with uh, Tinny is. Uh, you know, yeah, keeping my lights on, but also making connections and also learning things that I don't have, which is sales, marketing, and monetization. So 
it's a bit of a long game for me. Uh, that's been my journey so far. But I'm wondering if you could just rewind us a little bit more than that and tell us about your experience growing up and some of the early life events and mentors that you feel influenced your personal and professional development. Okay, uh, that is actually a bit of... Um, okay, so I should probably mention that there are a lot of uh, um, entrepreneurs and business people in uh, my family. Uh, we are notoriously bad at taking orders. Um, at least many of many people in my family are notoriously bad at taking orders. Um, that said, we also have a lot of uh, career professionals. So um, uh, my mom's a teacher. Uh, um, she, um, before that, uh, she was a medical chemist um, and a, ke a chemistry researcher. Uh, but um, since moving to Australia, immigrating to Australia, she uh, she's become a teacher. Um, my dad was a um, a chemistry professional. My grandma was a doctor. Um, my grandfather was an engineer, but he was one of those people who was notoriously bad at taking orders. So uh, he's uh, he he did a um, tried his hand in a number of businesses, um, and you know, and and one of the reasons I actually went did my postdoc in the UK was because uh, that's where my mom grew up. She. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, she studied her, uh, she went to high school, uh, undergrad and her master's all in the UK, um, because my grandparents worked in the UK, um, for some time. And before that they were, they were working in, um, Libya and, uh, Saudi Arabia. And we're, uh, we are, um, I, I was born in Bangladesh. We were, we are from Bangladesh and, you know, after the, done their world tour of working they went back to Bangladesh where my mom and my dad got married and I was born and but eventually we just my mom moved us to Australia for better opportunities and education and she just got sick of it sick of Bangladesh and things uh but um yeah so um but yeah but you know going back to Bangladesh now I have a lot of um, cousins and um, uh, cousins and stuff like that who are running factories and running their own businesses, shops and stuff. Because, um, as I said, we have a streak of just being. We like being our own bosses. I guess it's the best way of putting it. Um, I don't know what it says about us, but um, yeah. So. I guess you can probably say that that's that's always been a factor. Like, I mean, in terms of um, safety and security, yes, there has always been, oh, just get a good job at a big corporation sort of thing. But at the same time, it's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, cousin Dave, you know, is running, he's opened up a shop and is doing stuff. So um, I guess you can say that... Um, I've always been in an environment which has been like, okay, um, education is important. Um, you know, professional careers are important. And, uh, but yeah, sometimes you just don't want to take orders. So you become your own boss. <laughs> so I am, um, I don't know if that answers your question, but. Uh... I think very much so. Thank you for going through that with us. I, um, I can definitely understand that mentality, wanting to sort of chart your own course or sort of 
be your own boss, I think is uh, something that a lot of people in the community understand and feel similarly. Uh, I was hoping uh, if you wouldn't mind, could you talk a little bit about Abide, the idea that got you into the bootcamp? I understand it's currently on pause, but I think it addresses an interesting problem that exists in other places in the world as well. Yeah, so um, Abide, well, uh, the idea came out of um, um, a co um, sorry, a workshop that uh, my university, QUT, Queensland University of Technology, where the bootcamp actually took place, um, ran, uh, which was called In Cahoots. And it was basically about bringing together young people um, and older people um, and to solve problems together. And one of the problems that emerged from that uh, workshop was one of um, living situations, like um, as the meme goes, the rent is too damn high. Um, and, um, and this is a problem for young people who are just trying to start off their career, but also for older Australians who often, uh, once, you know, the kids have left and stuff, they often find themselves in a house that's full of their memories, but that is actually too big for them to live in. Um, but, uh, so, so. So the idea was that how do you avoid um, older Australians from having to downsize and go into a house where they don't have that memory and in a, often in a new neighborhood where they might not have the connections uh, or, or uh, you know, going into a retirement home? Um, and how do you prevent having to make that change uh you know, before um, as long as possible, and so and so one solution was um, you know multi generational living situations. So, but specifically multi generational living situation uh, with non family members, um, and so one thing and abide was exploring bringing together graduate students. So, you know, people 21 and uh, 21 plus uh, graduate, uh, so graduate students or um, just really young professionals and uh, facilitating them re renting uh, from older Australians who may have a house uh, with extra room and extra space now that their own uh, kids had moved out. Now, the reason we were uh, focusing on non-family member uh, multi-generational living situations was because um, there are some issues with multi-generational uh, of family members living in the, in the same house because you can't, you know, not everybody had, um, has the best relationship with their uh, family members. But that aside, it, it, there can be some issues of whose house it is, is if you, your house is it. So um, we wanted to go, okay, let's, let's get around that and see what, what, what we can do around that. And also um, in terms from the young people's perspective, it could be that they could don't have the option of living with their own family because their own family is not in town. 
Um, so Abide was about first uh, unlocking uh, the rooms of uh, unlocking the uh, underused resources by going to older Australians and going, hey, um, do you have extra room in your house that you're comfortable renting? And what is it that we can do to facilitate you to put that room in the in the market? Because a lot of people don't do it because they're concerned about security, they're concerned about uh, communication, and um, yeah. So and 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 from a younger uh, younger Australians, they also have concerns like um, you know, is there is there going to be security issues? How are they going to communicate with these older Australians who may, who may have older person who may have vastly different life experiences, hobbies, and interests? And how do you divide chores? So you know, even once you have actually um, found someone, you know, the nitty gritties of living together comes into it. And so, abide. Um, so we were in abide. We were exploring the model of how do we solve this? What tools do we have to develop? to facilitate intergenerational communication, intergenerational um, uh, living, and what support. And that, that was the other thing that um, we weren't going to just place and forget, which is say what, say, something like flatmates.com do, but it was going to be like an active situation where Abide members um, were going to have a continuous dialogue between each other and the platform to make sure that you know um, they were um, getting uh, you know their their money's worth in terms of the uh, in terms of the uh, percentage we were going to keep as a management fee from from the rent and that was okay um, tutorials communication skills support. Um, and just, yeah, just making sure that chores are getting done and that everybody uh, in a shared situation is happy, safe, and all those, all those things. And, um, and yeah, um, it, uh, it's, it's a complex problem. And because it's a two-sided marketplace, which are notoriously difficult to establish, we just, we just found it, uh, um, we just uh, we just couldn't solve we just couldn't solve the problem where we had a lot of people on the demand side who were ready to find rooms, but we were having some difficulty on the supply side, um, just because um, you know uh, we didn't have the uh, net, the right networks in place. Uh, we did try to find another founder who might have more uh, more. Uh, sway with um, older Australian or in the supply side, but that didn't quite work out. But but I hate to say this, but um, COVID might have act might actually help us going forward because um, yeah, COVID. I don't know how how COVID is being handled uh, wherever you, wherever you guys are, but in Australia, it has created some interesting situations in the real estate space. So um, it's still being played out. And as I said, my uh, co-founder is not back yet, um, but um, I do intend to reach out to him uh, in the new year and go, hey, <laughs> uh, do you want to look into this now that? Um, um, 
uh, our government supporters supposed to end in March. That's like when um, when some of the things we have in place, like JobKeeper, increased JobSeeker, and uh, these sort of social payments are set to end. And um, and also also um, some of the rules around liquidation is also set to expire in March. And um, yeah, and I have an unfortunate feeling that a concept like Abide is going to become a little bit important uh, in 2021, just to just so that um, older Australians can actually retain um, homes that they have built as their nest egg, and um, younger Australians don't end up homeless. Um, so. So the new year might be a good time to see if we can unpause it. But obviously, um, because uh, Abide is pre-revenue, uh, we have to, like both me and my co-founder, have to be in a place where we can, um, you know, push Abide along, um, yeah, without going under ourselves. So, <laughs> so yeah, so um, I don't know if that's, answers to your question but um that's that's abide it's a it's an interesting idea but two circuits two-sided marketplaces um not a startup i would recommend to most people oh thank you so much for that um i mean some of the best ideas though are are not ones you can just you know uh jump into you have to bob and weave and test right so i i mean i i love the way that your mind thinks about multiple angles and I I can see how your virtual CTO thinking through the layers could help you with this idea when you do come back to it. Um, and and it's it's definitely something that exists, you know, as you and I kind of privately spoke in other sections of the world. So we'd love to hear how that continues to develop and and if there's a way that we can um, you know, help in any way too. Um, so jumping gears just a little bit, I do um, want to hear more about your work as a virtual CTO. And I was wondering how long you decide to stay with a particular company. Um, how do you, you know, to use the phrase, kind of pass the torch back to the company and exit? Because um, I love on your LinkedIn that you you say, if you haven't found your forever CTO yet, you know, I think that um, even though not every company would find that sort of scenario, I appreciate that you're, you know, you're helping them build towards that. So do you have kind of like an end point in mind when you start out or um, how do you figure that out? Well, the end point, the ideal endpoint, uh, and I'm yet to reach that with any startup at the moment, is that the startup gets so big that it requires 100% of attention. Um, and if and if you're at that stage, then you have to make the decision: Do you want to uh, stick with it, um, stick with this company, do I, I, or get somebody else? Now. I would probably say that if if something demand if a company gets to a point where it's a where it depend gets like a hundred percent of of a CTO's attention, then that's the time to go out there and hire um, a CTO that you know that's that's uh, worked in 
you know, a medium enterprise or a small enterprise or, um, or has, or was a, a fortune 500 CTO and, you know, and is looking to jump ship into a, another growing company and get it to that stage. So that would be the ideal that I would sort of sit in interviews, make sure that they get the um, right, uh, right person, both technologically and culturally, because ideally at that point, I would know the engineering team better than anybody else. And um, so it's like, okay, we can't have somebody coming in who's gonna you know, blow up the engineering culture and um, I don't know, um, ban the raisin toast or something. Uh, sorry, I should mention that um, I mentioned that I worked in um, uh, here, uh, 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 the company was called Mincom, which was a leading software house in Brisbane. And one of their perks was raisin toast. It wasn't much, but you could get unlimited raisin toast as engineers in the break room. Apparently, at some point, management tried to take it away and the engineers walked out. So, so that's what I mean. Like, you know, you don't want to hire, hire, a, C, hire a CTO who's like, okay, we're going to get rid of the raisin toast because, come on, you can't get rid of the raisin toast. So, you know, so ideally, that would be the ideal situation that the company's gotten to a stage where it needs a CTO at a full time CTO at 100% capacity. And then I help pick the right person who gels with the engineering team and I go on to the next adventure. Um, unless it's a startup I really, really like, and in which case I was like, um, or a company I really, really like, then I guess it's on the plates that I would cut all my other commitments, but that would be a huge ask because other commitments. Um, but I haven't actually reached that point. Uh, what, where I have exited is like I've exited your happy place uh, shortly after um, completing the MIT bootcamp. And the reason was that we reached a milestone. We got a version of, the, of their idea out the door. Now, uh, your happy place was based on the research of an urban designer and psychologist and his research was about how outdoor spaces influences our mood he felt that most outdoor spaces are designed for um extroverts because he, he uh, so his company i should say uh the uh, uh the um holding company i guess is called uh, personality and place because and and that was literally it like his idea was that most er, uh, outdoor spaces are approved by extroverts and therefore extroverts and that they, they can be uh unappealing and unwelcoming to people who are not extroverts you know they're too loud they're uh for introverts they can be you know there are other issues uh, so how do you highlight them and how do you design better urban spaces that are more inclusive? So one of his big problems as an urban designer was just getting data because, um, you know, one way is just to go out there and talk to random people using a space and go, okay, uh, what do you think of this space? And, um, and you know, random surveys can uh, have can be not very good in terms of results because 
you can, um, you know, you can catch a person in a bad, a bad day and, um, you know, just, or, or lots of people like, as I, we were, as I was saying, you know, extroverts versus introverts, an introvert is less likely to talk to a random person canvassing the streets than an extrovert, you know? So you're, again, you're getting skewed data if, if you believe that personality plays a big part in your enjoyment of space. So one of the solutions was, well, how do you get people to tell you how you sp feel about space? What do you, what can you give them in return? And and so I sort of suggested that one thing we can do is we can create an app for recording emotions and we can tie that emotional diary, emotional journal aspect to, um, to location. Is that how do you feel as you're eating lunch at a restaurant? And, you know, is the restaurant making you happy? Or what emotions is it actually uh, uh, invoking in you now? Um, and the idea was that uh, there was a movement, um, and I, there still is, of journaling, of being more emotionally aware. And um, so we could um, capture, we could go into that trend and um, you know, create an app that can help us gather data that we can anonymize and uh, relay to city councils um, and with the ultimate goal of being cre uh, of creating better urban spaces but in the sh in for the user it would be about creating an emotion scape of the city to so that you know what part of the city's best suit your personality type so so the app, so the app that um, I designed had like a personality quiz section, which you took to get like a like an ocean personality assessment, and then that became part of uh, you know, and then you just go went out into the world and you try to log your day, and um, and then uh, ultimately the goal was that you know you would do analysis and you give meaningful feedback to the users to help them uh, navigate their day better with emotions and um, everything like that. And um, I, um, so I started, um, because uh, as I started developing um, a React native um, code base for that app, um, but uh, eventually also I'm helped your happy place get a freelancer just because, you know, getting me to develop at my rate is not cost effective for, you know, for anything uh, except the, you know, the first run. And so we got a freelancer and uh, who took my code base and finished the app and we released an Android app version of it. And, at, and as we reach a milestone, I usually evaluate, um, um, you know, whether we are being mutually beneficial. And I kind of felt that, um, I was doing a lot of things that were a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. Um, and the reason for that was that the uh, CEO and founder of uh, Your Happy Place, uh, the People Personality uh, Company, was not as familiar with the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, he came from a background of small business and partnerships. and um, Unfortunately, that is that does not 
align perfectly with entrepreneurship. And I was like, um, and I've spent a lot of time just explaining the entrepreneurial process to uh, him. Um, and it was also very difficult because we kept having these circular con conversations um, because we had a lot of communication issues. Like I would send emails, he would miss the emails, but then because he missed the emails, he would come back to me and go, you didn't tell me this. And then I would have to go find the email and say, okay, I did explain this. And so there was like a communication mismatch uh, that was exacerbated by the fact that we weren't in the same city. Like he lived a little bit uh, further uh, down south towards uh, in um, to the coast. Um, so, so I was like, uh, you know what? I think that I've got gotten the first version out. So you can now show a working app to, um, to investors and potential collaborators and show them what, what exactly you're trying to do. But I think that, um, it's better, you're better off, um, going to the local, uh, entrepreneurial hub because, um, the local governments and the state government in Queensland here have put in a lot of money to uh, developing infrastructure uh, infrastructure around entrepreneurship. So, and the Gold Coast did actually have an innovation hub. So I directed him to the innovation hub and said that, um, you know, like there's a lot you have to, you know, you have to learn that I kind of feel that I'm not the person to be teaching it to you. Um, so please go to the innovation hub and, you know, and, um, and yeah, and, um, you know, and, and then, I don't know, um, it might be better if you found like somebody else um, who's, uh, you know, uh, who's better able to gel with him communication wise and just uh, thought process wise, because, um, yeah, and also who, uh, who understands uh, uh, personalities a, a, a little bit better or takes personality tests a little bit more seriously than I do, because that was another problem. He took personality tests very seriously because obviously that was his background and that's what he did, whereas I didn't. <laughs> so it was that was also kind of a mismatch. So it was like, it was an interesting, uh, I mean, I, I like the emotion logging side of it because that was something I was interested in, but that didn't work if I didn't also believe in personalities. And so, so that's, that often happens. So, you know, you get to a milestone with any startups and, and it could even be your own startup and you go, do I still believe in this idea as it has morphed into during the journey? Because often the product you put to market is not the product you signed up to make, if that makes sense. And yeah, so as you reach milestones, you can all, you, I think it's always important to go, are you, is it a mutual, are you mutually adding things? And I kind of felt that um, it, being part of that startup was no longer adding anything to me. And, um, and I guess I was still adding something to the startup in the sense that, um, you know, I was, providing my tech skills and stuff, but I kind of felt that I was occupying a space that could have could be better occupied by somebody else. So I think I, I actually did write up a blog 
post about that. And um, I think I said it was um, addition through subtraction because I really felt that we had reached a point where um, we were going to add more to each other by just parting ways. <laughs> um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, that's like just reevaluate at each milestone um, whether I'm adding something or not um, to the startup and also whether the being affiliated with the startup was adding anything to me and then um, and then they're just deciding yes and no. Absolutely answers the question. Um, Tini, thank you so much for that. I think the ability to see when is the end of a relationship like that without needing to get to any sort of explosive point is such a powerful skill. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. They feel if they've started on something, they have to take it absolutely to the end. Being able to recognize that point at which you're like, all right, this is no longer providing value both to me and someone else in this position might be able to provide more valuable to the company. I think that's such a powerful point. Um, I did, I hope it's okay, I did add the quote from you, uh, come on, you can't get rid of the raisin toast to the quotes channel. Because I think that is absolutely perfect. <laughs> and I love the story you just told us behind it. Uh, one thing I was hoping to, if you wouldn't mind, to help us sort of understand uh, the biases and pressures you've had to work through in your entrepreneurial journey. I guess it was, uh, okay, so yeah, so I have this interesting story. I actually don't remember what his startup was about, but I heard a pitch in the startup um, in one of the, um, uh, so there, there, there's a co-working space here called River City Labs. And uh, before uh, the plague, um, they used to have Sunday, uh, they used to have uh, hosted like a, um, a pitch and bits, uh, bites, sorry, um, thing on uh, the first Friday of the month. And um, so I, so I usually try and go there if I can. And, um, and so I went there th that particular Friday, we had some nibbles, we had, um, and things, and we learned to heard the pitches and this guy pitched something. I don't remember what it was. Um, but, um, he sort of said, uh, I need help tech, tech wise. So afterwards I went and gave him my card and, um, for some weird reason, we somehow ended up having this conversation, which quickly uh, became clear that he was asking me if I was um, a, a sales recruiter or something for um, a, for a software house in India. I was like, okay, what part of anything I just told you gave you that idea? But um, yeah, so I guess... That was a weird prejudice to have. Um, Chris, that was like, mm, okay, I wasn't actually, I mean, sure, they have really good freelancers in India and it's a cost-effective place to build things, but no, I'm not repping a house from, a software development house from there, but uh, okay. <laughs> um, Needless to say, he didn't call me, and I'm not sure I would have picked up the phone after that. So, um, so I don't know. That's not a very interesting story, but the one that I came to mind 
first. It was it was just that's that doesn't usually happen to me. <laughs> weird, weird as it sounds. So that was like okay. Um, but I don't remember his pitch idea either. So and I have a very good memory. So clearly it was a dumb idea too. <laughs> it's a dumb idea. I don't remember. I'm sorry. I'm sh maybe it was a good idea, but I generally do tend to remember most things. So, you know. That's okay. I think there's value if just looking back at that makes you uh, smile and laugh too. So I appreciate that. Um, when you and I spoke, I had this, uh, what I thought was a great analogy of like how um, new startups or, you know, uh, people with a great ideal kind of hold it too close to the chest. Um, and it's like a cocoon. And if the cocoon is wrapped too tight, then they can't let in the things that they need that idea to flourish, you know, and eventually become this beautiful butterfly. So I was wondering, you know, if you want to expound upon that a little bit and give advice to entrepreneurs, you know, that are looking to launch a business maybe in the next three to six months on finding the right tension to maintain their cocoon at. Yeah, I think that, um, uh, I, I mean, I'm mindful of the time, so I'll, um, so I'll try and keep this brief. That, uh, that, this, that analogy came from an experience I had this year where I was um, some, uh, referred to a founder who had been struggling for five years to launch a tech platform. So, um, so we start, we spoke over the phone a few times um, and uh, exchanged emails. And uh, this founder was quite weary of their idea going out into the world and um, somebody co-opting them. But the thing was that their idea wasn't so unique. And also there was no first mover advantage, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know how big a splash they've made in um, the U.S., but uh, a big tech story unicorn here in Australia is Afterpay. Um, they went, they recently broke the $100 mark on the stock exchange from, and they launched at $1 in 2016. So that's pretty big growth and um, for, for a company in four years. Um, and uh, an Afterpay is a buy now, pay later company. They're not the only ones in the market. They they do did give, uh, they are as big as they are because they are they moved first. But there are other companies, and almost all of them have made it to IPO. You know, they're in the stock market. Um, and so, so even though Afterpay moved first, their idea. Uh, and I'm not even sure if they were the first to idea, first to market. They're just the one that advertised the most. So please um, don't take my word that they were the first. But what I'm saying is that the idea got copied a lot, but the pie was big enough for a lot of different companies. And so this particular finder, founder's idea wasn't, um, they didn't need to be first to market and they wouldn't have been because that kind of idea, there were other, they ha they had competition. But because they were so protective of it, it became unworkable because even if you, because I couldn't, I couldn't even share their public website with another client of mine 
without them going, oh no, that other client's going to steal our idea. It's like, it's your public website. It just, it's, it's, sometimes you get to, um, you find a founder and you're, you know, that that relationship is not going to work. Even if the founder is successful later on, their relationship with you is not going to work because, um, I don't know, because and I, I kind of understand where this person was coming from. They've been working in this idea for five years. It hasn't gotten anywhere. Um, they had some encounters where they shared their idea with a developer who developed some code bases, but then there was a disagreement with payment and the developer apparently tried to sell the code base to somebody. And I think that was like a misunderstanding there because... I didn't feel the founder fully understood the value they were bringing to the business because who cares if somebody sells your tech base, which isn't necessarily but tries to sell your tech base to somebody else, because unless it's like a revolutionary algorithm and this wasn't, um, it's not going to do anything because you are, I have seen plenty of good ideas go out there and die just because they don't have the right contacts to land the sales. They don't have the right contacts to make it into the boardroom of, uh, and in front of the people who make the decision makers who, who will write the checks. So, you know, if, so if you think that all you have is an idea, then, um, I don't know. It's, I mean, I say that, but um, I, I am actually currently uh, recruiting um, a UI UX designer for um, for a startup uh, where um, I can't uh, where there's one aspect of their idea which is crucial to their uh, to their success. But even with that business, they have competition who do similar sort of things, and it's not a new concept. Um, and um, yeah, and um, but but yeah, so it's 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 but in that case, the founder was able to raise capital and investment and and get me and other people because he went out and talked about it. He talked about his idea. He talked about um, uh, you know he had a non NDA pitch for it that he was willing to give. And uh, he didn't get defensive just because somebody might have, uh, you know, somebody might have said, hey, look, um, talk to somebody else who might be able to help them. And I think that's, that, that's it. Don't be paranoid about people trying to steal from you because, yeah, Chris, if you, if you keep your idea or too close, then you miss, you miss opportunities. You miss people who can help you. Um, you know, no unicorn was, unfortunately or fortunately, no, no unicorn was born in a closed room. You have to go out and find the unicorn egg. And for that, you need to go on a magical journey. And yes, you might m m uh, meet some um, hags who try to poison you or might m meet a dragon who tries to eat you. But that's the journey you have to go in to find the unicorn and egg. Do unicorns Born by from an egg? I don't know. Sorry, I got my mythology mixed up. <laughs> I just realized. Uh, sorry, it's um, it's actually an old Indian saying where you go, um, 
Ghorar team. It means a uh, horse's egg. And that obviously means that it's something that doesn't exist. And I started going this. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm getting unicorns and dragons mixed up because unicorns are horses and they don't have eggs. <laughs> so, so yes, but you know, like find a pregnant unicorn. There you go. That's a good analogy. <laughs> if you want to have a unicorn of your own, you need to go out there and find a pregnant unicorn. <laughs> I'm complete. I must point out it's 2 a.m. So if my analogy went off the rails, it's because it's 2 a.m. That's fair enough, I think. Um, now, as you've just pointed out, it is 2 a.m. and we've just come up to the, the hour point. So I thought um, if you don't mind to sort of, if you have a couple more minutes. Yeah, I'm sure. Yep. Um, I was just, we tend to generally ask people if they can sort of uh, give us some of their words of wisdom or a best lesson that they've learned just to sort of wrap things up um, from your perspective. I guess the best lesson I've found is just find the right people and communication. Even if somebody, if you, even if you find somebody completely amazing, if you find that you can't communicate with them properly, then that's not the right person for you. Or, um, you know, you can find like a sales genius, but you find that the community, you can't establish communication channel. It doesn't matter. You can, you're better off finding like in a salesperson with average level skills with whom you can communicate properly. I know it sounds weird, but communication I found was a key to success. And, and Honestly, likewise, if you, you have to get the right message for your consumers and uh, investors, you know, just communication. That's that's um, sounds cliche, but I, I that was the lesson that I've learned that, um, yeah, you, you know, if the right communication is very necessary. And also the other thing is knowing your value. Now, I have this problem myself where I uh, go, OK, this person. I gave them my card, but they didn't call me back. But then, but then it's it's sort of like that. Um, if somebody doesn't see value in you, then that's fine. You know, just go look for somebody who can see the value you bring, and try and see, uh, you know, what value they can give to you. So you know, don't shut doors and stuff like that. So yeah, just know what you're bringing to the to the plate. Yeah, and be happy with what you're bringing. And if you're not happy, then obviously work on your skills and things until you are happy. But if you're happy with what you're bringing and you know that it is valuable, but somebody can't see it, then that's probably not the right person for you, right relationship for you. You know, those are the two lessons I've learned. And yeah, and, and they, can, they can both be very hard because you, you can often put up with... Um, you know, a bad team member who you can't communicate with just because you need their skill set. And you can sort of freak out. And I, I do that all the time where you're like, oh, am I providing enough value? Or uh, why didn't this person see what, a, what value I could add? But it, it, that's just life. Not everybody is going to appreciate what you bring. And you don't want to waste your time trying to convince somebody that you're valuable if it's pretty clear that they're not seeing it so those are wise words and i have trouble seeing how someone wouldn't find your advice 
valuable, but I, I know that everyone sees through a different lens. So I appreciate that, that you're able to let go when you need to. Thank you so much for um, all your time and for doing this uh, so late into the night with us, Tiny. Um, we, we really are, are very grateful and, and I feel uh, I, I'm at the beginning of my day and this, this totally has me fired up to, to go do all the things I need to do. So, so we want that to, to pay both ways. So please keep us posted on how we can support you too. And um, we really appreciate everyone that, that joined us today. Spencer and I feel super fortunate to be part of this community. This has been Nancy and Spencer on Founders Voyage weekly podcast. Our speaker each week can be reached through our Discord server. Our intro and outro music is from the song Something for Nothing by Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. We'll be back again next week for another episode. Until then, have a great day and continue your voyage.